This is your host, Donna Barr, and welcome to A Bazillion Ghost Stories. I had no idea that my Samsung phone microphone was so powerful, and I hope I can get all of these little sounds edited out, but if you hear my stomach growling, it's because my Samsung phone picked it up, and we'll see what we can do to get rid of them, but I apologize if they show up. Because it stabilizes my position, and because I have something of a bad back, I do my podcasts lying down. And I think it might be better because I folded up a big old heavy sweater and put it on my stomach. Yep, here at the podcast, we got high tech going on. I said I was going to tell you about the little yellow house we rented in Magnolia, which is a neighborhood in Seattle, Washington. Like a lot of places in Seattle, the house was haunted. But the ghost wasn't that bad. One night, I was sitting on the couch by the front door, and I heard the door unlock, and I heard it swing open. I didn't see it swing open. And then very clearly, big old work boots clumped along in front of me, but I couldn't see them. And they went off to the right and up a set of stairs that did not exist and to an upstairs that did not exist. And I heard somebody sit down on the bed and take his work boots off and clunk them onto the floor. This happened every night. Dan was on the swing shift, and it was always just before I was preparing to go get him from the ferry. So, I waited for the weekend, and when he heard it, we came to the conclusion that the thing always showed up right at the end of the swing shift. Any time a week this could happen. So we just took to calling this rather harmless ghost the swing shift ghost. There were no other ghosts in the house. It was quiet. We were fine there with our cats. But the landlady really, really loved this house. And we got the feeling that she wouldn't have been renting it out if she had a choice, that she would have been living there. Now, she was an older lady. And as I recall, she had a liver problem. And she was going in for an operation one night. And it was at the time of night when Dan was home. As I said, he worked on the swing shift and sometimes would set up a little later as everybody wound down from the end of the day. We knew the landlady was going in for a very late night or early morning operation. That's just how the schedules worked out. And at two o'clock in the morning, suddenly through the room, a giant black flag flipped through the room 
It was about six or seven feet tall and about 10 feet long, and it just fluttered through the room. And at that moment, we both looked at each other and said, she's dead. And the next day, we found out that she had died at two o'clock in the morning. Things started to change in the little yellow house. Everything sounded wrong at night. It felt wrong at night. And we were kind of happy when the landlord said that he didn't want to rent the house anymore, that he was going to sell it, and we would just have to go find another place to live. And we didn't protest about it. Nobody was really upset about the house until the night we were moving. Dan and I and a friend of his began to move boxes. And then the guys got scared. They didn't know what they were afraid of. They just didn't want to be in the house. They felt panicky. And at that point, I went back in the house. And because I am the woman of the house, I outrank all the fae and all the ghosts and all the strange things. And I put my foot down. I told whatever in the was in the house that we needed to be allowed to move and not to be bothered and quit harassing the guys. And at that point, things were better and the guys could come back in the house and could work on it. I don't know what it was. And by the way, this is not the first ghosts I will yell at. And if you keep listening to this podcast, you'll he hear how I interact directly with ghosts and get my way. Anyway, we got out of that house. We moved out of it. There was no problem any longer with the little blue house, but that wouldn't be the end of strange things going on in Washington state. And did I say little blue house? I meant little yellow house, but you got to remember if you listen to the earlier podcasts, I grew up in a house that was just plain haunted. The whole neighborhood was haunted and it was a little blue house. So you're going to get a Freudian slip here and there. If you've ever seen the Disney movie, The Princess and the Frog, it features the best Disney villain, Dr. Facilier, played by Keith David, who often narrates for Frank Burns, including the wonderful Horatio's Drive. Now, their portrayal of Dr. Facilier, what a wonderful name, looks a lot like Baron Somede, which is the psychopomp of the African-American Catholic crossover religion called Voodoo, and it's not a very respectful image. And from what I'm going to tell you about in this episode, maybe people should have a little more respect for Baron Samedi. And of course, I mean Ken Burns, because that's me trying to say this and having bits and pieces of information show up in my head. But that's half the fun, right? Ghost stories are something you tell around a fire, and sometimes you don't always get it right, right off the bat. But that just means more ghost story. After this, there were a couple of moves, but we went together with a friend so we could all rent a larger building. And we found kind of a beautiful old place over in the Maple Leaf District in Seattle, which is kind of a little bit north of the University of Washington. Now, I don't know anything about Voudon, which is the 
better name for what Americans call voodoo, and I'm going to use the term voodoo in this episode, but my friend knew it. And when we first moved in, things looked fine. We got everything in, but then we decided to go down into the basement and see what kind of storage and things were down there. And we found, painted on one wall, a strange figure with blue candles that had been burnt and partially melted underneath this figure against the wall. My friend identified the figure as the voodoo spirit, Loa or God, Baron Samede, who guides the dead to the underworld, as far as I know. And we were both just a little spooked about having the figure on the wall. We thought it would be better if we cleaned that painting off and cleaned out the candles. Well, this might not have been the best move in the whole world because people who don't know that collection of beliefs that is voodoo maybe shouldn't be messing around with the basic software or hardware of it because I think we did the wrong thing. It seems as though it might have been painted and candle offered there to protect the house or protect anybody who might be moving there. And there were results after what we did. We also, let us say, pruned a rather thick bunch of lilac that was growing against the garage to make one tree about it. And that's when whatever it was woke up. I started working downstairs in the basement doing some screen printing, but it kept getting spookier and spookier to the point that I took a bottle of wine down, opened it up and poured a glass of it. That's all I know about voodoo is a lot of these spirits like their spirits. So I felt a little better about having the bottle of wine down there. On the other hand, things got real spooky. We slept upstairs in bedrooms down in the main part of the house. We all had the feeling we wouldn't go down in that part of the house at night. And we promised the ghost, haha, we promised that original inhabitant that we wouldn't go down in that part of the house at night. I mentioned before that I can't quote unquote see ghosts. I can hear them. But I think seeing has more to do with an impression you get in your mind. My impressions of hearing them are much stronger. I just don't get any kind of image. Dan and my friend both got an image. What impression I might have had had nothing to do with seeing or having a sight impression. I'll tell you about that in a moment. But Dan thought that the thing, whatever it was, was crawling. And my friend thought that it was like a snake on its belly on the ground. At one point, the upstairs bathroom stopped working, up by the bedrooms where we could sleep and leave the ghost alone. But once in a while, somebody would have to go downstairs and use that downstairs bathroom, which was not part of the agreement with the ghost. I had already made a deal with the ghost that we would stay out of the downstairs, but we couldn't do that. We had to walk downstairs to go to the bathroom. And one night when I did, I had, let's say it's beyond just an impression, 
something in the corner as I came down the stairs, stood up behind me, and hissed. Remember when I told you that I spoke to ghosts? I froze. I didn't look behind me because, as Coleridge says, you shouldn't look behind you. I simply hunched my shoulders and said, You're not stupid. You know our upstairs bathroom isn't working. I just have to use the bathroom. So relax. I made the fastest bathroom break in my life and went back up the stairs. That spooky stairs that I should tell you has one more little glitch about it, as well as those upstairs bedrooms. The bedrooms all had the same quality. When we were comparing dreams, everyone said they were having a dream in which fingers came reaching around the end of the bedroom door and faces started to look in. The stairs had a small landing, and at the landing, it always felt threatening. And one time, our roommate's sister was visiting, and she said she felt as though right at that little landing, somebody was standing there holding a machete and was just looking to take somebody's head off. Upstairs in our roommate's bedroom, there was a small door about big enough for a man to crawl through that led into a storage space that we were told had been used for storing bootleg booze. We later found out that this house was two houses south of a house in which a Seattle police lieutenant lived during Prohibition, and he was surreptitiously in charge of the biggest bootleg operation, and I don't mean trying to catch it, I mean running it, in Seattle. I wouldn't recommend Time Team to dig this place up, but if they were ever going to, I'd get whoever was able to do it right to paint Baron Samedi on the basement wall and light some blue candles. As far as I can remember, that does it for the Seattle stories. So now we're going to move across the Puget Sound and go to Bremerton, which is the shipyard town, over on the other side of the water. We had a house that we had bought just below one of the cemeteries. Now, as I've said, I don't see ghosts. But if you go up to this cemetery and you go there at sundown and you look out the corner of your eye. Sometimes you can see up on the hill in some nice funeral clothes like 19th century or late early 20th century suit, a rather portly man, a man with a figure, smoking a cigar with his hands in his pockets, enjoying the sunset. Why would we be in a cemetery? Well, who doesn't like to go through an old cemetery with nice trees and beautiful tombstones and a big old black dog running around that belonged to the groundskeeper? Once we were in there and a couple of elderly people came by looking for their own family's graves. And at that point, this big old dumb black dog, real sweet guy, ran by and they said, whose dog is that? And we said, oh, that's the graveyard dog. 
and the look of terror on their faces as we realized they must have meant that was the graveyard dog. This was the same dog that when we came back from my mother's funeral, we found locked in our backyard. And we were spooked because it was a big, scary black dog until we realized it was old Dopey from the graveyard and we called his owner and came and got him. But who locked him in our backyard on the day of my mother's funeral? Since I've already mentioned voodoo in this episode, this was the same cemetery where I got dragged into, out of pure pity, going to get ingredients for a curse. They needed the dirt from a freshly dug soldier's grave, so I got some from a sailor's grave. And from what I hear, the curse worked, and there's a reason you don't make curses on people because it comes back on you. Once those bad things are done eating the bad person, they got to come back the same way they went in. And that's what happened. I'm just staying out of it. I don't even want to get into it. I don't believe in magic and curses and Ouija boards, but we won't have one in the house. That doesn't mean that we didn't have Ouija boards when I was a kid. My sister and I were always on the Ouija board, and I could not read it as fast as she was running the planchette. This thing just raced across the board, and I know we weren't pushing it because we barely had a finger on it. But this thing was going 90 miles an hour. She couldn't read it, and we ended up having to write it down. And at one point, she says... This thing is just talking gobbledygook. So I just started writing it down, and I am fluent in German, or at least I had enough German at the time to be able to understand it, and I said, this thing is speaking German. And we figured out that it was probably somebody I knew about, which was a German pilot in World War I who had died in North Africa and had a head injury. And at one point, he said he didn't want to talk anymore because he had an HED UK, a headache, which is about the way a German would spell headache. So we put the thing away, said we weren't going to play with it, and of course the next night we got it out again, and now she says, it's doing gobbledygook again. I says, well, it wasn't gobbledygook, it was German. So she says, well, write it down this time. And as I wrote it down, I said, well, I don't understand this, but it began to look familiar. I said, it's speaking French. We just put the thing away until about a month later when we were fooling with it again, and decided to have it throw things, like throw the planchette. And finally, we got done with it and said, we're not going to play with this anymore. Now, I didn't touch a Ouija board again until Dan and I were in Bremerton, and we got a Ouija board, and we're messing around with it. Well, let me tell you something. You don't want to stick your fingers into certain psychic or spiritual or spooky light sockets because you won't be able to get your finger back out and that house had been just fine until we started to play with a Ouija board and then that thing, that house, started to walk. (laughs) 
Next week, we get into the Bremerton stories. And if you would like to be part of the podcast, send me messages once you have become one of my patrons at Patreon. You can also look for the link for both my Patreon site, patreon.com slash Donabar, and my website, where you can find links to everything, including my original comics pages at donabar.com. Just look for it in the program notes. And I will see you next week. A spooky...